The reading this morning is taken from Exodus, continuing from chapter 4, verse 1 to 17, to be found in the Church Bibles on page 60, I believe. Signs for Moses. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be 
as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to focus, to concentrate on your word, to learn from this passage in Exodus 4, uh, that our eyes would be open to your greatness and your glory, and that we would respond with humble hearts. Amen. So, Moses has come before the Lord God at the burning bush. He's been drawn in to God's holy presence and yet is having to hide his face, take off his sandals because the place is holy ground, because it is where the Lord is appearing to him. And God, we have already heard, we heard a couple of weeks ago, has commissioned him, told him to go. He's got to go back to Egypt to free God's people from slavery there. And yet he is riddled with doubts and his weaknesses are always before him as we see in this passage. And in the end, well, he refuses to go. Send someone else. It seems his doubts and his weaknesses are all he could see. They were a fog around him. And we began to see a couple of weeks ago how the Lord was going to deal with Moses. That the Lord was going to pierce through the fog, lift Moses' eyes to the Lord and his greatness. Moses, you need to take your eyes off yourself and put them on God. And this pattern continues in today's passage. Moses continues with his doubts, his weaknesses and his refusal. Uh, and God continues to lift his eyes, to pierce through the fog, to say, look at me. And what Moses needed is what we need too. To see through the fog of our doubts and weaknesses and see the Lord God more clearly. It's the most helpful, the most practical thing that can happen to us is for God to lift our eyes too. So we'll see how the Lord does this with Moses in this passage, verses 1 to 17. Uh, and the passage splits into three parts with Moses' arguments, Moses' comebacks to God. And so you'll see it, it splits into three. The first uh, part starts with verse 1, where Moses raises his doubts. Then in verse 10, we'll see God, Moses raises his weaknesses. And then in verse 13, you have Moses' refusal to go. So we start with the doubts. And you can follow on the service uh, order on the back of the sheet. You can follow through uh, the, the, the headings there. So first off, doubts. Let's see Moses, how he responds to God. So we're halfway through this conversation and Moses comes back to the Lord with this. Verse 1, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? 
So Moses' doubts, God has promised that the people will listen to him, but Moses' doubts are fueled by the prospect of going to these people who he thinks will reject him and his message. And the Lord then gives Moses three miracles, graciously gives him. I mean, he could have just said to Moses, no, I've told you that they're going to respond positively, just go. But he doesn't. Graciously, he gives him three miracles. They are called at various points signs and wonders. And that is significant. A wonder is something that stops you in your tracks. But a sign is something that points you, as signs do, points you to a meaning, points you to something more. A wonder astonishes you, but a sign teaches you. And these are signs, they are to teach, they are not merely, they're not just conjuring tricks for Moses to do, they, they point to a greater meaning. And thankfully we're told what that greater meaning is in verse 5. Verse 5 says, This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. God is saying, through these signs, I want them to know, when you go to the Israelites, I want them to know, I am the God of their ancestors. Now, why is that important? This phrase has occurred several times in Exodus chapter 3, when God has said, you know, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It's happened three times, uh, verse 6, verse 15, verse 16. Uh, If you wanted to jot them down, you could look them up later. But three times already God has said this, and now another time God has said, look, I want them to know that I am the God of their ancestors. Why is that significant? Well, because God has made a covenant with their ancestors, a binding promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there were several parts to the promise. The most relevant part here is God has promised that the Israelites will be a great nation and that any who bless them will be blessed and any who curse them will be cursed. In other words, God is saying, I will fight for you and your descendants for this great nation that I will make. And where are they now? In slavery in Egypt. And the signs show that God will keep his covenant, will keep his promise. He will fight for them against the Egyptians. And the the signs, the miracles point us in that direction. And therefore I've called this first point, I've given it a a bit more of a title, I haven't just called it Doubt. But it is, next slide, doubt, meet the snake-defeating Lord. Let's just see briefly these three miracles. The first one, described in verse 3, the Lord says, take your staff, throw it on the ground, and the staff turned into a snake, and Moses ran from it. Now the snake represents Egypt. Uh, The pharaohs had crowns with the figure of a cobra uh, in the front. And the snake was associated with one of the gods of Egypt. So the snake represents Egypt, its power. And interestingly, when the staff turns into a snake, Moses runs from it. And Moses has run from Egypt, hasn't he? Run into the wilderness, he's run away. And then God says to him to take the snake, to grasp the snake 
by its tail. Do you notice that? Take the snake by its tail. Now, that is a dangerous thing to do, isn't it? Uh, if you've watched wildlife programs, when you see someone grabbing a snake, they don't grab it by the tail, they grab it by the head to keep safe. But God is saying, no, grab the snake by the tail. One of the most dangerous things Moses has probably done. And yet he reaches out and grasps it. And that is symbolic of the Lord's power over Egypt, that he will grasp the snake. So the first sign, clearly, God showing that he has power over Egypt and will defeat Egypt. The second sign... Well, this is slightly tricky. It's slightly harder, I think, to see the, the symbolism here. I'm slightly less sure of this. And you can tell the commentators are as well. When you're reading in the books and they go through those different signs and this one gets very little space in what they say, you can tell they're kind of skipping over it. I think we're slightly less sure on this. This one, Moses is told to put his hand inside his cloak. When he brings it out, it is covered in leprosy. And it says, as white as snow. And then he puts it back in, brings it out, and it is restored to how it was. And the commentators are saying, well, maybe that represents Egypt as well. Leprosy maybe represents Egypt because Egypt was known as being a, an unhygienic place and a place where there was lots of leprosy. Uh, and the, the leprosy or skin disease that they had, people would know, was incurable. And therefore, maybe this is representing Egypt. And just like the commentators, we will brush over this. So we go on to the third sign, which is much, much clearer. Moses is told to take water from the Nile. Uh, verse 9, he is to take water from the Nile. It must be from the Nile, from that river, and pour it out on dry ground. Now, the Nile clearly represents Egypt. The Nile was the, the life of Egypt. It was the heart of Egypt. They depended on the Nile for their existence. No, they needed it. It was referred to as the father of life and the mother of all. And it was also, again, related to Egyptian religion, as it was supposed to be the manifestation of the god Harpy. Yet, when Moses pours out the water, it will turn to blood which anticipates one of the plagues that's going to come later on in, in uh, the book of Exodus. But it is the life of Egypt becoming death. Again, a sign that God will be destroy, is able to destroy the very life of Egypt. So we see in these signs what they're pointing to, that the Lord is the God of their ancestors who has promised to fight for them and will fight against any oppressors against these Egyptians. Moses, you need to lift your eyes to the Lord and see he is the snake-defeating Lord. And take these signs to convince the Israelites. But there is a bigger significance here even than that. It's bigger even than God's mastery and sovereignty even over Egypt. It's far bigger than that. Because the snake in the Bible is more than a symbol of Egypt. Back in Genesis chapter 3, right at the start of the Bible, the devil comes to Adam and Eve as a snake and tempts them to disobey God, which they fall for. And so is set up the great battle of the Bible and the great battle of history of the snake 
the devil versus humanity. The devil, who is a murderer and the father of lies, whose snake-like imprints we see throughout the world. Him who opposes mankind, blinding people to Jesus' glory, which we see in this country, which considers the God of the Bible to be ridiculous or outdated or mean. And the devil longs for people to ignore God and follow him. Yet Moses grasps the snake. And so a bigger victory is being enacted here. Because God promised in Genesis 3 that the devil would be crushed. In Exodus 4, Moses grasps the snake. And at the cross of Jesus, hundreds of years later, the devil was defeated. Though it looked like he'd defeated God when Jesus hung dying, yet that was the place where the devil was dealt a mortal blow. The devil still rages in this world, yet his defeat was guaranteed at the cross and will one day be fully realised, as described at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 20. And we need to remember this too, to lift our eyes too to the snake-defeating Lord. Because isn't one of our problems, as we go into this week, isn't one of our problems that as we try to live for Christ in, amongst friends and family and school, at school and at work and in our streets, we feel a bit foolish because very few of them believe in Jesus. And if you're one of only a few Christians in your class or in your workplace, or maybe you're the only Christian in your family, and God tells you to go to them, ready to live as his child and take the good news of Jesus to them. Don't we echo Moses' doubts? In fact, don't we go a step further? Moses said, now what if they don't listen? We go further, don't we? We say, they won't listen. They're not going to listen. And we become discouraged, hide away. And yet God says, lift your eyes to Jesus to the cross and resurrection. See the reality of the gospel, the good news. Remind yourself of those key events of history, of the cross and the empty tomb that we're going to celebrate at communion. And that through those events, the victory over the devil was achieved. The snake was fully defeated. Your sins are really dealt with. And the people we go to this week really do need to hear this. Look to the snake defeater, the snake crusher, who goes with you into this week. But Moses isn't done with his problems. He comes next to his own weaknesses. And so verse 10, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Moses says, okay, now my problem isn't how they're going to respond. My problem is me, that I am weak. And it isn't totally clear what he means by this. Some have said, well, maybe he's got some kind of speech impediment, and that may well be right. 
Or it may just be, he says, look, I'm just not good on my feet when I'm confronted with people, when they ask me questions. I'm just not that lucid. I can't think what to say. I'm not very good at speaking. And it's funny that he says, look, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. Well, it's only been a few moments. He says, "You you haven't done anything about this. And again, we see the loving response of God to lift Moses' eyes. And it's a a response that may surprise us. Verse 11. I think there are surprising truths in here. Did you spot them? The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And so the second part of this, this second point, weaknesses, meet the Creator Lord. Now the first part of that response probably is what you would expect. God says, who, uh, who gave human beings their mouths? That is God saying, I made them. I made every feature, I made every feature of your face. As you look in the mirror in the morning, every bit of it made by the Lord. That may please you, that may not. But as you look in the mirror, every bit of it created by God. But the next bit maybe is harder for us to take on board. God says, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God is saying to Moses here, Moses, I know that your mouth is slow, that you are slow of speech and tongue. I know. I made you that way. And God is saying as creator, he is the one who still makes people deaf or blind or mute. I wonder how you respond to that. Some biblical truths, including this one, are hard to take on board, aren't they? They they may be a bit like getting into a cold bed. It feels uncomfortable to begin with before we feel its warmth. And maybe that's true for you for this truth as well. Because this is saying disabilities, even, are from the Lord. We have many disabilities in our church family. As all church families do, there's deafness, sight loss, dyslexia, MS, dementia, and many more things. And yet, this is saying, isn't it, that they are from the Lord. They're the Lord's doing. Now, you might ask, where's the warmth in that? Where's the warmth in that truth? Well, it doesn't make them easy to bear, but it must mean that there is divine purpose, even to our disabilities. After all, notice, notice how the Lord responds to Moses on this. He says to him, I make the mouth. And he says, uh, the Lord is saying, he is the one who makes people deaf or mute, or blind. And then he says in verse 12, now go, I will help you speak 
and will teach you what to say. Now, God could have said to Moses, I made the mouth, I make people deaf or mute, and I, I heal you of that straight away. Now go, I've healed you, go. You can now speak, you can speak clearly. You know what to say, you'll, you'll know, you'll just know. But God doesn't do that. He could have done as the creator, but he doesn't. He says, no, I will go with you and I will help you. And I will teach you. Do you see that by not removing the speech problem, God is saying Moses' ongoing relationship with the Lord will have to be close. He's going to have to rely on God. He'll have to depend on him as he goes to speak to the Israelites. Moment by moment, as he comes to speak, he's going to have to relate to the Lord. And the very best thing for Moses and for us, the thing that will give us greatest joy is knowing God and relating to him moment by moment, depending on God. Not that God then heals us or gets us ready so that we can go off without him, but that we go off with him, relating to him in our weaknesses and in our disabilities. It is very, it is closely related, I think, this to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul had something, he calls it a thorn in the flesh, we don't know what it was, it was some kind of disability or some pain or, or something, we don't really know what it is, but yet he says, and he prayed to the Lord for it to be taken in the way, and this was the Lord's response. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I heard someone recently speaking using those verses. And they said, it is very strong, isn't it, that, that Paul says, I, I delight in weakness. And he said quite candidly from the front, actually, I, I don't think I'm there yet. But Paul says, weaknesses even, I can delight in them. Not because I enjoy the weakness itself, but because of God's power that can work through me. And I want that power, I want to know God. The Lord sends even disabilities as blessings. And that can be hard to take on board, though there is warmth there. And he can use them in many ways, so that we do depend on him, but in other ways too. Let me give you an example of this. A really, really good example, uh, given by uh, Philip Ryken in his book on Exodus. Um, I've changed it a little because the term that they used back then when in the incident he's describing, the term they used isn't the same that we use now. We use the term Down syndrome. So I've changed it so that it uses that so that we know what, what, what it's talking about. Anyway, the incident that he talks about is uh, a time when an American pastor, uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a pastor in America in the first half of the 20th century, he visited another church to do a mission there. And at that other church, the pastor of that other church, his wife gave birth while Barnhouse was there. And the child who was born had Down syndrome. 
And the minister, the dad, was told, but the mum wasn't at the hospital. Anyway, he came to Barnhouse, devastated. He said, Dr. Barnhouse, our child has Down syndrome. I haven't told my wife and I don't know what I'm going to tell her. Barnhouse replied, my friend, this is of the Lord. And turning to this chapter in Exodus 4, he read verse 11, who makes them deaf or mute, who gives them sight or makes them blind, is it not I, the Lord? The minister demanded to see the passage for himself. And as he studied it, Barnhouse said, my friend, you know the promise in Romans 8 that all things, including this child with Down syndrome, work together for the good to those who love the Lord. The minister returned to the hospital where his wife was beginning to worry that something was wrong with the baby. He was able to say to her, my precious darling, the Lord has blessed us with a child with Down syndrome. After she finished crying, she said, where did you get that? And he proceeded to show her what the scripture said. Later, when she called her mother to tell her the news, she said, Mother, the Lord has blessed us with a child with Down syndrome. We don't know the nature of the blessing, but we do know it's a blessing. On the following Sunday, when more than 70 nurses from the hospital attended that man's church, 30 of them came to faith in Christ. Now, I suspect many of us would be at the point, maybe, of, say, of questioning how the Lord can use our disabilities and our struggles. And I thought the way that mother put it, the Lord has blessed us, but we don't know the nature of the blessing yet. Maybe where some are today. Well, I want just to pause. We've got one more point. It's going to be a much shorter point, but I did just want us to pause for a moment, just at that moment, because maybe there are things that you need to talk to the Lord about. Maybe there are other people that you want to bring before the Lord who you know are struggling. Maybe you want to bring your disability, your problem to the Lord and ask him somehow that it would be a blessing. So I'm just going to give us a pause for a moment. I want to encourage you, maybe you need to take more time with the Lord after the service. I want to encourage you to do so. He is always ready to hear and to respond. He is your creator too. The last point I'm going to cover very briefly, We've, our time has gone really, and that is when Moses just refuses. He says, Lord, send someone else. And the Lord is angry with Moses. He hasn't been up till now. There is a warning here for us that if we know the way to go, if we know how the Lord is telling us to live and act, we must not refuse. If we know the calling of, to follow Jesus and God has graciously dealt with your objections, we must not refuse him. 
And yet even here we see God's gracious provision. He provides Aaron. He says Aaron speaks well. He's on his way. And he sets up this way of working. Moses will tell Aaron what to say and Aaron will tell the people. But just notice, just in finishing, that the Lord has already got Aaron on his way. This is God's gracious provision. He doesn't say, I don't know what to do now if you don't go. No, he had Aaron lined up all along. Just consider there that even though Moses is sinning here, the Lord knew it would happen and he has a perfect plan. And the sin does not wreck God's plan. In some way, God even incorporates it into his plan, which doesn't excuse the sin, doesn't make it okay, but does show God's wonderful sovereignty. The penalty for our sin has been taken by Jesus, and in God's incredible goodness and power, he can even use our disobedience in his purposes. So we are sent by God into this week. Our doubts, our weakness, and our sin can weigh us down and make us feel we just can't go. But the Lord's solution is to lift our eyes to Jesus, the snake defeater, the creator, and the gracious Lord.